Welcome to The Dental Deal, the podcast for dental professionals exploring a DSO partnership. In each episode of The Dental Deal, Brett Pierce and Christy Radcliffe from Seven Pillars will demystify the world of DSOs. Throughout their careers, Brett and Christy have helped countless dental professionals achieve their dreams of growth and expansion by connecting them with the right DSOs. In this episode, Brett and Christy will answer the question, how are DSO partnership deals structured? They'll cover the key parts of a deal and the main factors that go into determining the value of your practice. They'll have some tips on what you can do now to make sure your practice will get maximum value. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and be sure to join us for our upcoming episodes. Until then, keep smiling. Over to you, Christy. Thank you and welcome everyone. I'm Christy, this is Brett, and we're managing partners at Seven Pillars. Today, we're gonna give you a little deal structure 101. What's included, what's not included, what's the financial impact to you? So, let's dive in. Brett? Hello. I think it's important first and foremost to talk about um, what will the one deal structure be that you will never see in a, D in a DSO transaction? And never is probably a strong word, but what would your answer be? Generally, you're not gonna see a 100% cash deal. I know that you know when you look, when you look in the news or um, you read the paper, you see these stories about these corporate buyouts and people are just buying these businesses for a pile of cash and the, the seller just rides off into the sunset. That's not how this works. That's, for a variety of reasons, that's not, that's not how this works. What is the most common structure that we're seeing in deals today and that most people are probably familiar with? So. The reason why these groups can't give the doctors 100% cash and why they have to structure them, how we're going to talk about, is because of this concept called key man risk. Key man risk is basically how important is the owner to the operation of the business. In dental, as you can imagine, it's very, very high. Mm -hmm. With most of our practices, a lot of our single doctor practices, if the dentist decides not to show up, we don't really have a business. Um, so because of that, I can't just give somebody all this cash. Diesels can't give all this cash. Mm -hmm. So they come up with these structures that make sense. So you're going to get a portion of the sale price in cash, and you're going to get a portion of it in equity. Um, equity can take many different many different forms. Primarily, there are primarily two forms of equity: kind of a traditional equity type that you that you are familiar with, like shares in a company. Like mm -hmm. if if Apple were to buy your business they would give you some cash, and they would give you some shares of Apple stock. And yep. so now you're like, okay, great. My future is hoping that Apple stock doubles or triples. Well. Yep. Okay. So one structure is cash and then shares. The other structure is what we call a joint venture structure where you're gonna get a percentage in cash, 51 to 80% mm -hmm. in cash, and the balance in, a joint, in the equity in a joint venture, which basically means for all intents and purposes, if you get 60% in cash, you're retaining the balance, the 40% in what we call practice level equity. So that means you're basically entitled to 40% of the spoils, of the profits mm -hmm. of that practice still. Very different, very different situations. You're getting compensated equally for your chair side work in either model, mm -hmm. but the shares are appreciating at a different, at a different rate and your, your practice level equity is giving effectively dividends Yep. By the profit of the practice, so you're you're really excited for your practice to grow in profitability because forty percent of a bigger number is a bigger number. It's a bigger number, yeah. And I think it's important to understand in that in that joint venture model or that JV model, as as you'll hear it referred to, you're not in most cases 
you oftentimes, you may not actually still own the practice. Mm -hmm. what, are you, what you own is the right to the profits of the business, exactly. right? And so structurally, you know, you're not, even though you own the practice or the rights to that, that profit, you're not still running expenses through it. You, you are taking on a different ownership percentage. You are actually partnering with that, that group that you're affiliating with. Um, on the flip side, let's talk about the equity a little bit. Um, and then I want to talk about, after we do this, I want to talk about what, when it might make sense to do kind of a JV versus yeah. another kind of model. But before we dive into that, let's talk about equity. So there's the, there's the shares that you're getting. There's a term that people hear um, and we'll talk about, hold co mm -hmm. um, or just normal equity. Explain to those listening kind of the difference between those and what those look like. So when you get into an equity model, and the example I gave you, like the Apple model, mm -hmm. you're gonna get, so say, say somebody says your practice is worth a million bucks. We're gonna give you $600,000 in cash, and I'm gonna give you $400,000 in shares of Holdco, which is effectively saying, if I partner with DSOA, I have now just gotten $400,000 in shares of DSOA. Yep. And so now, those shares are gonna be priced at the time whatever the then current share price is, no different than if you bought Apple stock today. Mm -hmm. As those shares appreciate in value, your effective equity value appreciates as well, then you, then you monetize that at a recapitalization event, which is a whole nother, yeah. a whole nother episode, yes. I guess, um, to kind of explain that. And so that would be, it's kind of an indirect benefit. So you're, what you do at the practice level matters, but it matters only in the scope of the larger DSO. So if your practice is really doing well, that's going to raise, that's effectively going to raise the share price some level because you're making the business as a whole look look right. better. You're not necessarily getting any dividends or profit distributions from it. Um, so there's just some different math there. Yeah. And so we've kind of talked about the various percentages you can get. I think it's important to understand if you're considering this or thinking about this, how much cash, how much equity if you do a JV model, a lot of that's dependent on your risk profile, right? We have some clients who come to us who say, I want as much cash as possible. We have those that say, I feel really strongly and supportive, you know, this DSO that I'm joining and I want a large uh, chunk of equity um, at whatever level that they're getting that. So what is going to make someone kind of go one way or the other or, or kind of if someone says, hey, I, I, I don't really, I like these two companies equally and one's a JV model and one is a cash, cash and equity model. What may, might make you say, hey, financially, this is the route to go over another? Yeah, it's a, there's, a, there's a risk tolerance aspect to this. Um, there's, there's a lot of personality aspects to, do I want stock? Am I, am I comfortable making money via stock or do I have to continue making all my money with my hands? And like, there's a, there's a wide spectrum there. A lot of our guys are like, I'm looking forward to not all of my money just depending on my two hands. Mm -hmm. and therefore, I'm going to join a group and collectively, we're going to do better together, mm -hmm. which is going to raise a share price for everyone. So now I'm financially incentivized along with all the partners of the DSO that I have. And that makes, and that, that makes a lot of sense, right? And, then, and while you may not be receiving dividends directly, you're kind of banking on the long-term, yeah. the long-term folding over value of equity of, of the shares. When you talk about the joint venture model, if you know so much of your compensation is based on your practice performance still, you do 70-40. I recommend doing a 70-40 <laughs> deal if anybody takes it. We always propose a 70-40 deal first. And then if they, if they catch it, then they catch it. 
<laughs> hasn't worked yet, but you could be the first. <laughs> so so um, you do a 70-30, you're getting 70% in cash, you're getting $700,000 in cash, you're getting 30% of the profits moving forward. So if you change a process in your individual practice and it makes it more profitable, you're going to get the direct benefit from that kind of immediately. Um, so there's a different, just a different, different kind of mindset there. I want to make money directly based on my actions, or I just want to use the investment value of shares of shares over time. And so your comfortability with these structures kind of self-selects who you want to be a partner with because most of the groups don't do both. They do one or the other mm-hmm. or some combination. And based on your comfortability with that or the doctor's comfortability with that, that gives us a head start on who we think would be the best partner. I think that's really a good, a good point. Now, let's talk about um, the equity and the, the ownership of that profit how do we? How does someone monetize that down the road? So I did have this cash and equity situation. I know this could probably be a, a, a whole other episode in yeah. its own, but just kind of super high level. If I take this cash equity deal and I have this equity in in either level, how do I monetize that when I'm ready to go or when I'm ready to retire or I need to kind of liquidate that? Monetizing these shares. So I have I have four hundred thousand dollars of shares in Apple DSO. Mm-hmm. Okay, well. All of a sudden, these shares are now worth, somebody says these shares are now worth two million bucks. It's five times return on my money. Okay, great. Okay, well, that's awesome. I have a, I have a, I have a $2 million stockholder, but, I, but what do I what do? I do? Mm-hmm. So when that DSO is sold to another private equity group, private equity, generally speaking, private equity owns these DSOs. Right. And private equity buy, how private equity works is they buy businesses, they improve them, and then they sell them to another private equity group for a profit. So that's kind of how this whole thing works. Now, the DSO is being sold to another private equity firm. Awesome. I have $2 million in shares. Well, similar to how the DSO wasn't going to give you 100% in cash on the initial transaction, because that really doesn't help our key man risk problem. Yep. If I have $2 million of equity, there's going to be a number less than 100% that you can monetize yep. at that recapitalization event, likely. So based on the DSO that you partner with, we have historical averages and estimations to help you understand. Are you going to be able to cash out 50%? Are you going to be able to cash out 75%? Are you going to be able to cash out 100%? And what, what do we have to do for you to be able to cash out 100%? So at that point, you are going to say, okay, when that DSO sells, all of these shares are now worth a bunch of money, and somebody gave that, that private equity a bunch of money for those shares. I am now going to receive say 70% of that value of that of that $2 million. I received $1.4 million, and now I still have $600,000 in shares remaining. On the joint venture side, it's a little more complex. Um, you're basically, one way we think of it is, if you did a 60-40 model, so you still own, you still had 40% of the mm-hmm. profits, um, you kind of, in a way, still own 40% of the EBITDA. Mm-hmm. And so when these DSOs trade, they're trading EBITDA. They're selling their EBITDA. And so your EBITDA is a part of that. So depending on the DSO, you'll be able to trade your EBITDA alongside of them. So if a DSO gets a 13 times multiple on their EBITDA, that's going to trickle down to you. You're going to be able to sell yours. less. It goes through the car wash, and you're not going to get a full 13 on it. But that's how you're going to monetize that equity and every DSO has kind of different rules and stipulations on how you monetize this, 
what you have to continue doing in the practice to be eligible to monetize this. Because mm -hmm. the stories are all great. And these are successful businesses. And there's no reason that their, their shares wouldn't appreciate at a, at a good clip. But there are rules attached to it. Yeah. And the next buyer has to be comfortable buying all these all this stuff from you also. Yeah, and, and you have to also understand that these are private businesses, right? So some of these who haven't experienced a recap, you're not going to have as much data on what that yeah. looks like or what, you know, you're going to be using their estimates. So, you know, again, you know, as we've, as we've said, and as, as you'll, if you've ever talked to us, you will hear, we have to understand these structures that we're getting into so we can understand what the financial impact will be one, three, five, ten years down the road as we're able to monetize these things and understanding that they're subject to the market. They're subject to, you know, everything else that we think about when we think about a share of stock. So another component that we'll see in these deals, uh, if we talk about equity, cash, JV, um, and all of these can have these earnouts. Mm -hmm. Okay. So there's two types of earnouts. There's growth earnouts um, and more um Maintenance earnouts. Maintenance earn I was going to say stability, but maintenance earnouts. Explain to us what earnouts are and why they're typically incorporated into a deal. So earnouts are similar to kind of like bonuses, and they're they're incentives for doctors to to behave a certain way, whether it's grow the practice, show up a certain amount of days, see a certain amount of patients, whatever it is. And so. Earnouts are a way to say, okay, look, I have growth left in this practice. You're going to value my business based on what's happened in the last 12 months. And that's fine. And that's fair. Mm -hmm. But I have growth coming up that I don't really want to give up all the upside of that growth. The answer to that is, okay, let's, let's formulate, let's design some sort of incentive. So it says, okay, if you do grow, then you get paid just as well or better than you would have gotten paid pre-partnership had, mm -hmm. had you owned the entire practice. These can be collections earnouts. They can be... Um, production earnouts. Mm -hmm. They can be EBITDA patient earnouts. visits. They could be even. Yeah, mm -hmm. oh, it's really good. Yeah, they could be EBITDA earnouts. Mm -hmm. So as you grow, or if you do the things that are beneficial to your practice right. and the DSO, you're going to get rewarded directly on that. Also, by the way, if you're in one of these profit sharing uh, models and you grow your EBITDA to hit your growth earnout of EBITDA. By the way, your practice is now more profitable, yeah. so your distributions are yeah. higher. You've also won. And you're selling more EBITDA on, on the backside. If you grow your EBITDA in the equity model, you're just making the whole company look better. Earnouts are also popular um, for some DSOs because if you if you grow your practice post-transaction, it makes them look better. Mm -hmm. So when a DSO acquires a business, acquires your practice, and you grow and you increase collections by 25%, and they pay you a big bonus for that, that's still fine because it makes the DSO look really good. Because if you're a DSO, and you're like, I, when I acquire practices, they grow by collections by 25%. Mm -hmm. You're going to get a huge number on the backside for that. So that's kind of how earnouts work. That's a growth earnout. We have maintenance earnouts also. Maintenance earnouts are another way to protect against key man risk. Here's a bunch of money. Here's a different cash flow situation. I still need you to come to work. And I, and, I, and I want to buy what I thought I was buying. If something I'm buying, that's going to continue. Something that's going to continue. Yeah. Absolutely. So I'm, if, I, if you're a million-dollar EBITDA practice, I would prefer, if I'm the buyer, I would prefer that you're a million-dollar at least EBITDA practice mm -hmm. moving forward. If you just sell and then you know, go to sleep for six months, it's probably a bad partnership. And we honestly wouldn't represent somebody who wants to do that anyway. Yeah, and I, I think it's important to understand that earnouts can solve the problem, like you've said, of someone who's growing. But... We often, a lot of our clients have been in a situation where they're opening a new location or they're expanding an office or they just brought on an associate 
um, and they haven't really been able to realize the profit or, or the benefit of maybe those investments. Yeah. And so these earnouts allow you to kind of make a decision that maybe is works for you in, in that moment, but also kind of benefit from that future growth. So I think that, you know, understanding what goes into your earnout, understanding what those hurdles are and making sure they're realistic for your practice Huge. and that you can actually hit them. Um, or if, if they're super aggressive growth and you're like, yep, this is aggressive, understanding that so you can maybe not include that in your equation of, yeah. hey, is this a good deal or a bad deal, right? Like that would be gravy, but it's not something I'm, I'm counting on because I know that's gonna be challenging. Uh, okay, so earnouts, equity, cash, the JV model. Um, let's talk about TEV. Um, for those that don't know, total enterprise value. Um, TEV is oftentimes the number we see at the top of an offer. Yep. It's the big flashy number that someone says multiple and it's lots of commas and we're so excited about it. <laughs> That's right. Um, oftentimes that number will include the things we just talked about, okay? What, what do we need to be cautious of if we're looking at that TEV and let's say we just have a straight cash and equity deal. That TEV includes just cash and equity, or what else could it include that you've seen as you review offers, you know, yeah. kind of on a daily basis? TEV in its in its general sense is all of the stuff that's associated to this transaction. The cash you get, the stock, the shares, the joint venture equity that you get, the earnout value, mm -hmm. the maintenance earnout value, the growth earnout value, all uh, any referral bonuses occasionally. So all the stuff that are that are inside of this of this deal are what TEV is, mm -hmm. cash and prizes. So if you had five million in cash, three million of equity, two million in earnouts, your TEV would be ten million bucks. We have seen TEVs include some interesting math yes. to make it higher. We've seen it include um, their production compensation that they're gonna make over the course of five years. Um, I think all of that goes to the um, kind of fear, uh, maybe not fear mongering, but more of the, like the FOMO of, hey, don't miss out, look at this 12 times multiple. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's kind of what portrays that in the market. So really understanding kind of what's in that number uh, is incredibly important. What happens a lot of times is these DSOs structure these deals. They all, they all structure the deals somewhat similar, but they present them very differently. Mm -hmm. And um, I want to anchor you to a $20 million number because I know that the total value is what's going to get you going. Or if I know that you're chasing multiples and all, all you care about is multiples, well, if 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 I need an 8x multiple or if I need a 10x multiple, like I'll, I can give you whatever multiple you want if I control X. Yeah. Right? So it doesn't really, so if I'm going to include five years of compensation, I'm going to include $20 million of earnouts that you can never achieve, and then I'm going to include the equity return appreciation. Yep. I'm going to tell you that you got a 19 times multiple and you're going to be like, I just got 19 times multiple. You're going to go to your study club and you're going to tell everybody you got a 19 X, whatever it is that you're chasing, they can find a way. I'm not saying they're trying to, to trick people. The they, they just have different, they have different ways to present things. So when you see a number before you anchor yourself to that number, you need to dive in or have somebody dive in for you. What does this number actually mean? Mm -hmm. What are the components of it? Mm -hmm. And how likely is it that all these things or any of these things are actually going to happen? There could easily be a scenario where the number on the top of the page says 10 million and this one says 9 million and this one's way better. Yep. I always say that is the thing that our team does incredibly well um, and I think is one of the most valuable parts of, of the offer process is taking 
various offers and really level setting those together yeah. to say, hey, this is actually what this means if we kind of, if all else is equal and we take out all the extras, we lay them all out, here's what you're truly getting at year one and year two and year five and year 10 with the same assumptions applied to each one. And I think that's an incredibly valuable and important tool for anyone out there who is, you know, contemplating this process or maybe looking at an offer today uh, and thinking about taking the leap. If you're not normalizing the different offers that you get, so you're actually comparing apples to apples and you're looking at how that affects cash flow and actual like tangible money and things that you get, if you're not level setting those things, mm -hmm. I don't know how you would make a decision. No, it'd be incredibly um, challenging. You need, you, and if you can't do it yourself, you gotta have somebody do it for you. That is, like, look, we know some qualitative, intangible things that might make you a better fit for another partner, but you absolutely have to understand the difference in these deals, the likelihoods of these deals, what assumptions each of these groups is using, how likely their equity is to make these kinds of returns, what is that data based on? If you're gonna get a 5X, that's great, well, why? Mm -hmm. Why would you be getting a 5X? That seems very aggressive, why would you get that? Mm -hmm. um, so, level setting these things, you, like, that is a non-starter. Like, you absolutely have to normalize, level set. I don't know how you would make a decision otherwise. Yeah, and it's not about taking the offer that is the most. It's just about understanding what you are signing up for, what that truly means, and how likely it is that you're going to get that. We have clients all the time who take the, you know, who take an offer that might be less than, you know, it's, it's comparative one, but it was a better fit, like you said, the qualitative aspect and they understood more about and they felt it was more achievable from what they expected out of their next five years so yeah if you wanted to if you want a 19x offer i can probably get you one but it's going to be full of earnouts that don't make any sense yeah yeah 100 well i think that covers it thank you for joining us for deal 101 hopefully if you have an offer in front of you and uh we're confused hopefully by the end of this episode you have a little more clarity we'd love to talk with you. We'd love to walk through your deal. We'd love to help you compare offers that you might have. We know it's an important decision. So stay tuned for more content. I'm Christy. I'm Brett. Or Seven Pillars. Thanks for listening to The Dental Deal, a podcast for dental professionals considering a DSO partnership. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and be sure to join us for our upcoming episodes. Until then, keep smiling.